Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. God of mercy, God of grace, help us to see a smiling face. I mean, how much do we need that in our day and life, right? Just the opportunity to see the hand of God move, trusting Him every step of the way. Take your Bibles this morning and open them to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 will be our text this morning. And as you're turning there, there was a couple announcements I forgot to tell you. Right after service is going to be the kids' Christmas choir rehearsal. Is that what it is? Half hour uh, upstairs in the Hall of Faith, Casey, you're leading that. So want to announce that. The other one is, is that uh, we are still having our Sunday night service tonight at 6, so love for you to come. And we're talking about corporate worship there, and would love for you to join us 6 p.m. here. The title of today's sermon is A Compassionate Savior Delivers. Let me begin by reading our passage this morning. Starting in verse 1 of Mark chapter 8, the Word of God reads this. It says, In those days... When there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. He also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat, and his disciples came to the district of Delamadutha. Let us pray. Father, again, thank you for the morning. Thank you for allowing us to gaze upon your grace and your mercy. We are a people who who much need it. Understanding our relationship with you gives us great joy to, to see how you are such a compassionate God. You see needs and you meet them. That is who you are. It's a part of your character. Father, teach us here this morning as we desire to dive in and and to see and be in awe of this great Savior that we serve and love. Spirit, teach us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
a compassionate savior, savior excuse me, delivers. These truth accounts from our Lord never get dull. Time and time again, Jesus shows us his compassion on those around us. This is an, another miracle. It's different than the one we saw in Mark chapter 6, where there was 5,000, roughly 15 to 20,000 people with women and children. This is 4,000. So there are distinct differences that are going on. And what is happening, you have 4,000 from seven loaves and a few small fish. Been with them for three days, teaching them truth, no doubt, right? He's teaching them, and he notices that they're hungry. Notices that they have need. And here Jesus knew exactly what they needed in the time that they needed it. And he showed his compassion. Verse 2 begins by telling us, from Jesus' own words, he says there, I feel compassion for the people. Now, what's interesting about this statement is that this is the only place in the four Gospels where Jesus says in the first person, I feel compassion. This is first person singular in the Greek, which means that he spoke it. He, he let his disciples understand as he was overlooking the crowd and, and, and their great need for hunger and, and just having physical needs. Often throughout the Gospels, we, we find it in a third-person approach, which really means this, that the disciples or the writers of the Gospels, they, they observe Jesus showing compassion. But here in our text, Jesus says, I feel compassion. He spoke it. I think of what has already been declared in our gospel in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, where Mark says that he felt compassion. Mark 6, 34 says that he felt compassion for them, all those in the third person, all those through observation of seeing his actions as he responded to the people. It's important to see at the onset of our, our study this morning that the writer sees the acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit tells the writer to pin the resulting actions as an act of compassion. But here in our text, it's first person. It is first person declarative statement where Jesus says, I am telling you exactly what's going on in my heart. It tells us what he's thinking. Our Lord is declaring that compassion is, is an attribute in which he has and he possesses. And the important matter that we must grasp is that this compassion is exactly what was already on display of the God in the Old Testament. And so when you think about this word compassion being stirred up within your bowels, literally in the Greek, he was moved to feel emotion towards those whom he is serving. Jesus, the Godhead, is the only God that, that shows compassion to his people. You think about that. Every other religion has a God that is, is strict. You think about uh, the Islamic faith. They have a God who is wrathful, a God who is suppressing the people. You think about all the other gods. You think about Buddha and, and declaring that they must do all these good works in order to get heaven and, and, and all these things, that they're never good enough. And yet in the midst of the scriptures, we find an attribute of God that is divinely his, and that is that he shows compassion. Divine compassion. 
an attribute of God. I think of Psalm 78 in the Old Testament where it gives us a taste of how compassionate God is. Look at the screen when it says, and they remembered that God was the rock and the most high God, the redeemer. But they deceived him with their mouth and lied to him with their tongue for their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. Of course, the indictment against Israel, how unfaithful they have been and how they, they would lie and they scheme and do things selfishly. And, and yet, and so the writer points all that out. And then he goes on to say this, but he, speaking about God, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all of his wrath. That is the character of God. Showing compassion, giving grace and forgiveness. The psalmist says in Psalm 111, verse 4, he makes this statement. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Lamentations 3.22, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. Romans 9.15, which actually quotes Exodus 33, by saying, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I, have, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so here's the connection that Mark wants us to get. Because God, the God of the Old Testament is compassion and shows his divine compassion often with his people. That is a divine attribute that only God has. Mark wants us to see in the life of Jesus that he shows compassion in such doing, he shows his equality that he is God. That Jesus, every time he dealt with the people, he, he healed them and he, and he gave them mercy and he even feeds them. He is showing the connection of the divine nature of God in the Old Testament is the same God that's right before them. That Jesus is this mighty one. That God and Jesus are one. All of Jesus' healing, all of his deliverances and casting out of the demons, all his feeding of the people are all demonstration of his divine compassion that only the true and living God possesses. But it doesn't stop there. When we fully realize our salvation, you think about your own salvation, the fact that Jesus goes to the cross, is crucified, dies, and then resurrects and ascends to heaven, all of that is a divine compassion for the sinner. We have the joy this morning of, of celebrating the Lord's Supper, and we remember all that, that profound work on the cross. And I don't know if you necessarily look at the cross as a divine act of compassion, but it is. It's divine compassion to the one who can't help himself, where the Lord himself steps into humanity, and he gives of himself to be crucified and to be the atonement for our sins. He is the one who gives divine compassion to those who repent and believe. Jesus, your, your Savior, your Lord, shows his divine compassion and gives you something you don't deserve. He gives you, in light of that faith and repentance, forgiveness and grace. This, beloved, is our Lord. And this is what's on display for us here in our narrative this morning. Oh, but there's more. Remember where Jesus is at, right? The context of where Jesus has the second feeding of the masses. 
Remember Mark chapter 6? He's in the land around the Sea of Galilee. He's in, in Israeli land. He's, he's with Jews, mostly predominantly Jews. But we know as we entered into Mark chapter 7, in particular verse, uh, in chapter 8 here, he is in Gentile lands. Very important. Very important. His feeding, this miracle, the showing of divine compassion, it was not only reserved for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles as well. Jesus in the area of the Decapolis, in the Gentile lands where, where the Gentiles are present and where they have heard of his great, great news. It's kind of interesting to me because when you think about what's happening here in Mark chapter 7 and Mark chapter 8, you have this set of Jesus' ministry in the Gentile lands. He's farthest away from Israel that where he can walk away from, and here he is displaying his grace, and faith has been given. Healings have been happening. I mean, I think about the woman whose daughter was possessed crying out for the mercy of God. That is faith, beloved, and she is asking him to cast out this demon, and he does it from afar. I think about the people that gathered around at the end of Mark chapter 7 who are bringing all the people that have illness, and Jesus is healing them. Matthew makes the, the comment in a short narrative way. He says that everybody that came to Jesus was healed, showing divine compassion. The inclusion of the Gentiles, nations, I mean, it was so important that we looked at that in Mark chapter 7, the fact that this salvation was not just reserved for the Jews, but is for the Gentiles also. Gentile nations experiencing the compassion of the Lord. By the way, that shouldn't surprise us. If you read your Old Testament, you knew this was going to happen. You think about the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 2. Verse 2 and 3, where he says, Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised. Isaiah is talking about this future time, this future messianic reign. And it will be raised above the hills. And then he says, And all the nations will stream to it. All the people groups will stream to it, and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The blessings of the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but for the people and all the people as well. I think of Isaiah chapter 25, verse, verse 6 through 9. It says, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet. And this is what you got pictured here. He is just setting up a lavish banquet, feeding the needs of the people. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all the peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is, is over all peoples, even the veil, which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the, the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God from whom we have waited that he might save us. 
This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. I mean, this is exactly what's happening. We, we saw last week that when the people heard that Jesus was in the area, they left everything that they were doing and they went to him. They, they understood what was before them. We also saw the tie-in of the whole issue of, of the, the man who had the, the legion of demons who was just sharing Christ. He was the evangelist sharing the hope, and he was a living example of the grace of God in their life. And so they all gathered around Christ. Why? Because it's his salvation and his grace and his mercy and his divine compassion that he often showed and put on display. God's salvation, the salvation that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ, is destined to go to all the ends of the earth and is for all people and nations. We get that. We understand the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And you got to think about yourself. The reason why Jesus even left the area was that he had detractors. They were going after him, but he's wanting to teach his disciples. Now, we don't get much what Jesus taught them, but you've got to imagine by what he was doing that he's teaching them that this message, that the Messiah, that this is going to be a salvation that goes to all the ends of the world. And so this is what you have at the heart of this narrative. And so I think it's wise as just kind of setting that up as we think about theologically what is happening, what Christ is doing, showing his divine compassion we can see this unfold in the narrative before us. And so you have three simple points in your outline just to kind of mark down some truth as we go through it. But the first one's in verse 1. We got another large crowd. Imagine that, right? Verse 1 says, In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. This sets the context. Another large crowd. Remember, he's deep in Gentile territory. The Gospels don't tell us exactly how long Jesus was there. Scholars believe that in light of the miracles and the distance from where he was and from Israel and all these things, that, that he probably was there for several months. Yet Mark captures for us some very distinct miracles, helping us understand this very truth. And that's exactly what Mark and what our Lord wants us to get, that the salvation is not just of Jewish orient as well as just for Jews only it's for the Gentiles as well remember like I say he wanted to get away he's teaching his disciples and he's demonstrating no doubt probably what he's teaching to them by these acts of mercy teaching them compassion teaching them grace that this is what the Messiah is going to do. This is what the Messiah does. And when you think about the plan of salvation and what falls, I mean, Jesus is eventually going to head back after this event. He's going to head back to Israel into the Sea of Galilee area, and he's eventually going to be heading towards the cross. And we know exactly what the outcome is going to be. We, we know exactly what he's doing, and so much so that he's going to give this exhortation that we find in our Gospels about being a sent one, and the great commission of going out and proclaiming the Gospel to all the world. And so Jesus is continuing to display his, his divine nature. He notices that they are hungry, and this is kind of remarkable because we know in verse 2 that they had been with him for three days, now, how many of you think, maybe none of us have experienced three days without food, 
maybe not doing it recently. I mean, it's kind of tough not to have three meals in one day, right? But three days, but they are so engaged with what Christ is doing. Uh, you don't get any indication that they are grumbling. All you get is the indication of the heart of Christ looking out of these people as he's teaching them, as he's healing them, as he's proclaiming that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior of the world. He, he notices that there is a physical need, that they need some protein and carbs. And so here he is displaying his divine works pointing to the reality that he is God. And he gives his disciples a, another front row seat. By the way, his disciples and Jesus themselves were the only Jews in the area, no doubt. Here they are. No Jew would see themselves fit to be in that deep into Gentile lands. Why? Because there was such a rift between the Jew and the Gentile. And that's why it's so significant to grasp what Jesus is doing here. He, he has given us the, the importance of the fact that, listen, I'm going to break that separation and by the way, Jewish nation, you got it wrong. It's not just for you. It is for the Gentiles as well. And so here we have this problem at hand in verses 2 through 5. Continuing to, to read at the end of verse 1, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. Of course, the people, he recognized that the status, of course, being omniscient, knowing exactly what's going on. He, he observes his crowd. He knows that they have been diligently listening. They are amazed, maybe no doubt giving praise for all the things that Christ is doing and healing their loved ones. Marveling at his teaching, they no doubt probably had been sleeping on the ground. Nothing brought with them, no food. And he asked, I guess to some degree, he asked, why is this so severe? Well, listen, if you knew the Messiah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords was in your area, I think you would drop everything and run too. And so here you have the situation where they are just enamored with with the grace and the mercy that Jesus would even be in their presence. The Messiah was on their front doorstep. I mean, they took every effort to be in his presence. A little application point there. I mean, how often we who got it good do we desire to be in the presence of the king? Do we drop everything and spend time with our Lord, knowing that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords? Or does life clutter our days? And to some degree, sometimes for some of us, Jesus is just an afterthought. Here they gave all, wanting to be in his presence. Jesus takes no notice of their needs. He feels compassion in response. He literally says, and one of the reasons for his motivating aspect to, to meet the need that's at hand is that he says that they will faint on the way. If he was to send them home, knowing that they have a long distance to go without food, without having food for three days, he knows that they will uh, collapse and won't make it. Pretty interesting 
Greek word and how that is. It's literally the idea of an unstrung bowl. And you guys understand exactly what an unstrung bowl is. It's useless, right? Once it's unstrung, it has no ability. It falls apart. has no function. So his disciples respond to him in verse 4. And it's kind of an interesting response. His disciples answer him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Where in the world is Jesus going to get this food? Now, remember, they're on the heels of a miracle. They've already seen the 5,000 that literally fed 15,000. They know that Jesus can do this. And so they're pretty much saying, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do knowing that they have a need and you recognize it? They're prompting Jesus with their questions, asking the Lord, what are you going to do about this? And so Jesus responds in verse 5 saying, and he was, say, or he was asking them, how many loaves? Here's his response. Here comes the miracle. And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Comparison to March 6th, they had what, 12? Here they have seven. Now, if you go down to verse 7, you know that it wasn't just the bread. They also had what, a few small fish. And so in Mark 6, they had five loaves, two fish. Here we have seven loaves and a few small fish. And then comes the miracle. Verse 6. He directed the people to sit down on the ground. Remember in Mark chapter 6, he did the same thing. He put them in groups of tens, fifties, and he had them all sit down. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks. And don't miss that. I mean, that, he is recognizing that what he's about to do is going to be divine. Even his provision is a grace of God. And you and I both know that the provisions that we have on our table is a grace of God. It is something that he provides. So it says there, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. Verse 7, they also had small fish, and he had blessed them, and he ordered these to be served as well. And verse 8 says, and they ate and were satisfied. How in the world do you get seven loaves and a few small fish and to feed 4,000 people? Well, get this. Just like it was in Mark chapter 6, he blesses it, and he's literally creating grain, bread. He's literally creating fish, dead fish, but he's tearing apart and continuing to give it basket after basket to the people right in front of their eyes. Often we get enamored by musicians. We think about those who can make things appear, make things disappear. I mean, here there was no magic. This was divine glory on display and, and multiplying everything to feed 4,000. Now, listen, in the, in, the, in the text, we know that this was roughly 4,000 head of households. These are 4,000 men. And if you add the women and children, exactly what, what Matthew says, that there were women and children present, most scholars believe that it was roughly between 10 to 15,000 people. When you talk about doing great things with little, of course, that's our God. 
creating bread from grain that was never grew, creating fish that never existed, feeding the people, which echoes back to creation where he creates everything out of what? Out of nothing. He makes things from nothing and and he shows his, his compassion. Look at verse 8. They ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large basketfuls of what was left over of the broken pieces. Literally, what the Gentiles had and what we know what these baskets looked like, they were literally seven large hampers. If you have clothes hampers at home, this is what they had. Much different than than, than, than what we know about in Mark 6 where the Jews had had smaller baskets. These were hamper-sized baskets of food. Again, showing the the nature and the depth of the miracle. Seven of them. They had much more food left over than when they started with. Verse 9 says, about 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately enters the boat, and he's looking to head back to the Galilee area. Over 10,000, over 15,000 people, a massive crowd. Verse 10 tells us he's heading back to Israel. He's done with his Gentile ministry, in, in essence, and Mark records for us, like say, just a handful of miracles that, that really cements the idea of what he's doing there, the fact that he is the Savior of the world, showing his divine authority. And so when you think about this passage, it seems something kind of mundane a little bit. I mean, we kind of expect this from our Lord, but don't see it that way. This is another display of his goodness and kindness to feed and meet the needs, that he's compassionate to meet your needs. And you think about that spiritually. How often does Jesus meet your needs? Daily? Absolutely. The very fact that you have breath in your lungs is a divine compassion of God to make you alive. You understand that? The fact that you have health, the fact that you have shelter and you have food on the table, all a divine compassion of God. And for us in America, I mean, I'm overwhelmed by the kindness of God. You go overseas, you'll notice when you go overseas and you visit people like in Russia and Albania and Georgia, Arbor-Jean, these places where I've been, they only have two sets of clothing in their closets. By the way, they don't have closets. They rotate them every so often. Maybe get washed, maybe not. You think about how many clothes do we have in our closets? The abundance of food, the kindness of God, do not take that for granted. Our takeaways from this morning is, is, is to show what I've already started our sermon out with, is, is this whole idea of showing us his identity with God. Only God can do this, beloved. He's showing us that he's equal, that he is God, that he's part of the divine Godhead, Trinity. And then he submits it with his compassion, that he's kind. Two, our second takeaway is that he's displaying his salvation and blessing the Gentiles. We've hit that pretty hard. There's a third takeaway, and it's simple. It's a simple truth that Jesus will supply all your needs. You understand that? He's sufficient. 
I think of Philippians 4.19. It reminds us of this truth when it says, and Paul says this, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. According to his will, according to his purposes, according to his plan, he will supply all, notice it doesn't say some, but all your needs. And then finally, a final takeaway I think you can take from this text, this narrative, is that the greatest act of compassion that Jesus will display is when he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. He was willing to go to the cross and to, and to bear the full weight of divine punishment for our sins. How often do you reflect that truth in your minds and hearts? I mean, that should be a daily encounter, thinking about the great salvation, that you get to wake up each morning as a child of the King, of His grace and His mercy, to be able to, to be displayed, knowing that it's that grace and that mercy that saves you from this place called hell. Waking up each day with a shout of hallelujah, proclaiming, wow, what a Savior. He is compassionate not only over our, our physical needs, beloved, but more importantly, he is compassionate over our spiritual need, our need for a Savior to redeem us, a, a need for our Savior to save us. I mean, now, before we go to the Lord in prayer, I want us to, to think about that. We get to go to the Lord's table. It's an ordinance that Christ left the church for those who are saved, and he calls us to remember him. And we do that monthly here at this church with a desire to, to remind ourselves that there's going to come a day where this will be no more, and we'll be in face-to-face in -face with our Savior. But in the meantime, we are reminded continually of his great compassion for souls. So I want the men that are going to serve us communion to come forward and, and find their place. The worship team can come forth as well. As they're doing that, let us prepare our hearts to take communion. Bow with me in prayer. Lord, it's just a, a simple truth this morning. Simple, but yet profound. Your kindness, your compassion displayed to so many. But yet that's who you are. You are God who displays compassion. I'm reminded of how patient you are with us. Much like the Israelites, we, we find ourselves often doing just the opposite of what you called us to do. Our disobedience is ever before you. Our sin that entangles us. And yet, because of who your son is and what your son has done, and because of the faith and because of the repentance of the believer, because you have saved the sinner, you show great compassion to us. Thank you for being long-suffering with us. You totally understand that we are a work in progress and we desire to, to live for you. And yet, Lord, each morning we see our failures. 
But may we quickly run to confession. Knowing what it says in 1 John 1, 9, that you are a just and righteous God, able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remind us of who you are as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for this ordinance that we're about to partake in. We do it in a manner that is worthy, understanding all that you have done. The exhortation are there in scriptures that, that you don't want us to take it in an unworthy manner. And so if there's anyone that needs to not take it, may you prompt their hearts not to do so. It's also for only for believers. Communion is so precious to the one who believes. And so we thank you for all the truth that is wrapped up in this ordinance that's symbolic of all that you have completed within us. So we take it in that vein with a heart of worship, a heart of gratitude, a heart of understanding the divine compassion that's on display. So let us partake with joy, knowing that there's only one Savior and one Lord who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.